I am Sanjay Parekh, and I am the host of the Business of Meaning podcast, where we showcase businesses that pursue purpose and profit. My guest today is Asesh Sarkar. Asesh is the co-founder of Salary Finance. Salary Finance is on a mission to change the lives of working people by helping them become debt-free and save towards their financial goals. Asesh is a former management consultant who is a strong advocate of business with social purpose. So hi, Sesh, and welcome to the Business Meeting Podcast. It'd be great if you could give us an understanding of why you started Salary Finance and what Salary Finance is trying to achieve. Yeah, sure. Hi, and uh, thank you so much for having me um, on, on the podcast. We started um, Salary Finance about three or four years ago now, and um, the kind of basic premise is that um, we kind of had a view that consumer finance um, is a very important part of um, you know, kind of society in general, about kind of one in two people. Uh, you know, have borrowed some sort of money, whether it's you know a loan, a credit card, an overdraft, whatever it may be. And then, then our view is that the um, the, the way it works today is just very regressive. And so, um, in general, the less someone earns, the worse their credit score is, the higher the interest rate they pay. Um, and so, it seems very kind of strange in a very progressive society and a very kind of progressive world in general um, that actually you have this phenomenon that you know the less you earn, the less access to finance you have, and the higher price you pay. And it seemed a very strange phenomenon. Like if, if you look at any good or service in the world today, um, it costs everyone the same. So if, if you went into Starbucks and bought a coffee, um, you know, they don't ask you who you are on, on that base of price. They, get, they, they offer the same product to everyone at the same price. And then so we could see this general kind of, you know, uh, you know kind of you know, strange phenomenon which kind of caused issues. And then at, at, at a similar time, I, I guess I saw the impact this had, you know, just very personally. And so I have two children. We have a nanny. And we saw our nanny really struggling with her finances because of a lack of access to uh, kind of good financial products. And so, you know, she had come, you know, fairly new into the country. She had some debts. Um, and, and the problem she was facing is that, um, yeah, the price of those debts are very high. So she could, you know, you know, uh, she, she, she didn't have a high enough credit score to access mainstream banks. And so she was left with very high cost credit cards, very high cost payday loans. Um, and so each pay period we would pay her, but then a high proportion of that would go straight on to interest. And then you get into this kind of never-ending, never-ending cycle. Um, and, you know, as a, um, like I said at the time, I was a management consultant, I worked in the city, and then it seemed strange to me that I could go to a bank and get a loan for, say, you know, 5 or 6%, uh, yet she, should, she couldn't get anything for, you know, either in the 50-plus percent or, or the 100 plus percent. And so, you know, essentially we had offered her a solution. Um, so, so, you know, I had, you know, as her employer, you know, give her an employee loan that allowed her to pay off her debts. We collected a small amount from her pay each pay period, we saw the real difference that had made for her. So she was keeping more of her own money. She was able to pay off her debt a lot quicker. Um, okay, three, three or four years ago, I guess those two things really came together. So, so one, a general view that you know, consumer finance is very regressive, but, but also just seeing the impact that it had people and, and also just seeing how a simple loan had made to my children that it made really a big difference in her in in life. And so, so kind of four, four years ago now, I'd you know, come together with Dan Cobley and then Dan ran uh, Google in the UK and, and also with Daniel Shikani, a socially backed entrepreneur. And we, we looked at, you know, can, can we solve this problem on a much bigger scale? I um, mean, essentially offering a similar solution to that I'd done to my nanny. Um, and, and essentially what we do today is um, you know, we work with you know, typically large employers where their employees have debts. Uh, we um, you know, essentially offer them an employee loan to refinance those debts. We charge a very low rate of interest. We can do that because we collect the repayments directly from payroll, uh, which reduces our risk, reduces our cost. So on average, we save the average person about £600 in interest on their debts. 
we help them to pay it off six to 12 months sooner. And then we have a savings product. So once someone has paid off their debt, they keep the same pay while we payment going, uh, but it moves into a savings account to help build it for their future. And then over time, we've also built, you know, uh, you know financial education offerings. Uh, we also have a product called Advance, which allows employees to get access and advance on their pay um, if they just have a kind of small shop within the pay period. Then we're also live across the US as well. And so kind of collectively, we reach just over a million, a million employees today. So, uh, Sash, does, does this, he says a bunch of interesting things there. And the first thing that jumped out at me was you, you mentioned the fact that there's different pricing for different groups of people and it disproportionately affects people on lower incomes. My understanding, though, is that reflects the risk profile that's say the institution that's lending the money is running and therefore the, the pricing reflects the, the higher risk. Are you saying that that's not necessarily the case then? No, yeah, so, so, so that's exactly the case. That's exactly uh, how, how it kind of works. And so essentially, you know, uh, you know as, as a consultant, I've worked in lots of banks. And so that is pretty much the kind of basic premise. So a kind of, you know, a financial institution will say that, you know, we are happy to lend people money, but there's clearly a risk in us not being repaid. And so, so we need to factor that risk in and that plays into the price. Um, and there's almost an unintended consequence of that, which, you know, just so happens that middle to income people have middle to low credit scores and as a result uh, kind of, you know, get paid this premium. And in general, you know, you know, I guess banking as an industry has been able to kind of rationalize that argument, which is, look, it's, you know, clearly not our aim to screw society. Uh, it is our yeah. aim to make an economic return, uh, and, and that return is based upon risk. So all, all, all entirely, entirely rational. And actually, for, for, for most financial institutions, that's kind of really where they stop. They go at home and they sleep at night, and they're okay because actually it, it's kind of fine. It all, all, all makes a lot of economic sense. The, the kind of, you know, the, 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 there's two differences between, how, between that, that world, view of the world, and how we view the world. So the first is that you know, it, it is important to look at the unintended consequences of that. And so... It's fine for a mainstream bank to decline about 70% of people that come to them. But then for those 70% of people that can't access a mainstream bank, then they're simply left with very, very high cost options. It gets them into a cycle, which is very hard to get out of. And then you have these um, unintended cycles, which is if you give someone on a middle to low income a very high interest rate to cover the risk, the likelihood is that they're also not going to be able to repay you. So you know, if you have, say, you know, £200 disposable income per month, uh, and if a high proportion of that is going paying on debt, then actually, you know, if something else comes up, then you're, you're, you're more likely not to be able to repay. And so, so actually that the high rates, you know, not only cover the additional risk, they more likely make you more likely not to repay. Uh, that, that then impacts people's credit score. And then kind of systemically, this cycle gets um, uh, kind of self-fulfilling. So you kind of almost start to believe it. You, you, you start to believe that actually middle school people are higher risk because you know they don't pay you. They're actually part of the reason they don't pay you is because they have higher rates in, in general. And so, and then this cycle kind of uh, facilitates. Um, and then one of the things you find with financial institutions in general is that they're very data obsessed, you know, which is again a reasonable thing. And actually, if the only real data you have is credit scores, and if credit scores have this inherent bias uh, towards them, there's a very really hard cycle cycle to break. So the, the way we think about the world is that you know, it, it is not just about the economic rationality for the financial institutions. There is also a, um, an importance for us to look at the wider ramifications of society and, and also to look at how we solve the bigger problem for everyone. What we're not saying, and saying what, what I don't say to our shareholders, we, we've raised a lot of capital as well, is that, you know, you know what, let's send a load of money out, not factoring the risk, and then, you know, hope we get paid or not. Um, mm-hmm. what, what we do is to say, okay, what, why is it that these employees don't repay and, and how, can, how can we reduce that risk? Because essentially what a bank does is a bank prices in the risk 
And what we do is we create a model which reduces the risk. And then the way we do that is, is through a number of, of, of ways. And then so it's, 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 it's a case of reducing risk and cost. And so, so the first thing is by working with an employer, um, the first thing that happens is we reduce our cost of acquisition. Um, so, so one of our clients, for example, is BT. They have 90,000 employees. You know, usually a, a lender would spend 150,000 to 200 pounds acquiring a customer. Uh, but because we use established uh, communications channels, then we have very low cost of acquisition. The second cost or the second real risk factor for a bank is that um, is that a fraud, uh, where people come online, take a loan, never make a single payment. But because we are validating the employee as an employee, then we also have no fraud. So that's another cost saving to us. The third part of your value for us is that you know, kind of most banks don't really have a good view of what someone earns and the context around it. Uh, whereas, again, because we have validated income from the employer and because we understand the context around it, we can make a really good affordability decision. So if someone says, well, I'd like a thousand or, you know, like 5,000, but only a thousand is affordable, we can lend them an amount which is affordable, which means that most people then repay us. And also because we collect from payroll, we also get paid you know, pretty much all of our time. And then you know, uh, payroll is cheaper to process than bank payments. So, so basically what, what we do is we aggregate all of those um, reductions in risk and reductions in cost. That equates to £600, and we pass that uh, saving back onto the consumer uh, in the form of a lower interest rate. But the return we make per loan is not dissimilar to a bank. So, so essentially, what we try to prove, and have had good success so far, is that kind of you know economically, a salary finance loan and a traditional bank loan makes about the same return per loan. But we have been a lot more thoughtful in you know, helping consumers that are perceived to be high risk. And you know, helping them become much lower risk by working through the employer, and much lower cost to administer, and then passing passing that on. And as you get into this kind of you know way of thinking, you just come up with lots of things um, which you ordinarily wouldn't if all you care about is your margin. And so you know, one of the things which you've worked out, for example, um, in the UK, 60% of people don't get paid um, monthly; they get paid every four weeks or every two weeks or every week. Um, and in the US, that Actually, the majority of people get paid two weekly. Um, however, every bank today, pretty much globally, you know, has a loan or a mortgage which is monthly. So what, what that means is you get paid four weekly, then you have 13 pay cycles, whereas your mortgage or your loans are 12. So, so, so what that means is employees, or if you get paid weekly, then you know, then, then you know, the problem is exasperated, exasperated. What you need to do in those instances as a consumer is making sure you don't spend your money before it comes to those um, those kind of costs you need to make. Uh, the reality is most consumers are not good at managing their finances. So what we do is we match the, the frequency that someone gets paid to the loan repayments. So if they get paid weekly, then the loan repayments come out weekly. It's easy for them to understand, it's easy for them to administer. No need for good money management. We, we, we kind of take that out of the equation. Because we do that level of matching, it means that people find it much easier to repay as they get into um, kind of problems much less frequently, and the whole cycle, the whole cycle works. So I guess a, a slightly long-winded way of saying that absolutely, you know, the, the the rational arguments financial institutions make is that you know we absolutely are not seeking to do anyone a dis- disservice in society. All we are doing is pricing in risk. And then I guess kind of you know our view of the world is you know risk does have a price, but if you are thoughtful about it, you can reduce people's risk. You can create a much more efficient model to increase your frequency of getting payment. And you can end up in exactly the same place. And then, then we're big believers in business for social purpose because we think this level of thinking just doesn't happen in general in business. You know, people, um, you know, set their, you know, kind of set their parameters of what they care about and what they think about and where they innovate on, you know, simply what leads to their return. 
But actually, we think if you cast a net wider, um, you create a business which has a lot more impact and delivers about the same return as you'd ordinarily, ordinarily get. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm really glad you explained that. I, I know it was a long answer, but it's really clear to me now how you can do what you do because your process is just so much more efficient. Uh, even if you pull out the social elements of what you're doing, you've thought about it in such a way that allows you to uh, deliver the service in a much more efficient way than a traditional bank. And then that therefore gives you still the same sort of return that a bank would get. Yet yeah, so you can then offer that service to a much broader group of individuals. So it's it's really interesting to hear your approach, actually, because I think the creativity behind it is not necessarily apparent when you just talk about it in general. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that, that's kind of one of the things which we're which, which kind of big on is, is creativity, which is, you know, in, in general, if, if we look at banks or financial institutions, you know, the reality is they hire top-tier people. So, you know, they hire the best graduates, they pay people, you know, you know, large amounts to be very creative, but a lot of it is kind of, you know, where you set, um, you know, where you set the parameters and kind of where you set the things you care about. And actually a lot, a lot of the focus tends to be on the economic return as opposed to, you know, as opposed to kind of, you know, solving the bigger problems in society. And so you know, a bank, for example, you know, in general would decline 70% of people that come, come to them. In many ways, that 70% of people are invisible to them. And so, um, you know, it is a, and then that's kind of fine, banks still makes a return, but we, we, we do think if you kind of use the resources, the creativity to solve a bigger problem, it kind of, yeah, it kind of, you know, makes, um, you know, makes a much more interesting and make, makes a much more kind of fulfilling uh, business. And, uh, and also as, you know, people in the business, it kind of, you know, it just creates a level of, um, you know, yeah, kind of, you know, purpose and excitement, which is much greater than just kind of managing your own, your own margins. So, I mean, this leads on to a bunch of really interesting questions. But something you said earlier, actually, that I'd just like to touch on, you suggested that people aren't particularly good at managing their money. Why do you think that is? Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of, um, a couple of big, uh, I would say, kind of generational kind of cultural things. And so, so, so one is, um, um, you know, over the last two or three generations, um, I guess as you know, society has progressed in many ways and the economy's kind of got stronger and general um, kind of confidence has got higher, you know, what we've found is people culturally save less. And so, you know, as a society in the UK, for example, you know, 40% of people uh, have less than £100 in savings. So if an emergency came up that was more than £100, then they actually they would have to go and try to find the least worst kind of debt option to solve that. The number in the U.S. is 46%. So 46% of people in the U.S. Uh, couldn't raise $400 in emergencies. So we have this real issue whereby culturally people just spend what they uh, what they earn, and so it's not so much of a function of how much you earn. And we, we, we've done some research recently, uh, which basically looked at people's financial fitness. The 10,000 person UK survey and the 10,000 person US survey, and pretty much what we found is, you know, for people who earn very little. And for people who are, you know, well in excess of six figures, that actually their financial fragility was pretty much the same. So it's not just a function of income, but it's just kind of culturally savings is no longer really ingrained in people. And, and I guess, you know, in prior generations, you know, I guess, you know, parents would be very big on savings. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. The world's in a certain place. You know, we should build up this savings buffer. That's changed over generations. Parents no longer instill that in their children because they don't necessarily... Um, you know, have that philosophy themselves. And also, it's, you know, financial education is not taught in schools, and so you don't really learn it at school. And then, so there is no real, um, no real place where you get taught it. And so you ended up in, in a situation where 
people are just a, generally don't have savings and are generally uh, financially fragile. One of the things which we speak a lot about employers to is you know there's clearly a link between being you know, worried about your money, stressed about your money, and the level to which you're engaged at work, and as a result, kind of you know productive and happy. Um, and so, so we do a lot of work with employers around you know, providing financial education to their employees to help them become much better with money. And then, you know, alongside the savings, the other side which we find is a real kind of challenge for people is just good budgeting, just you know, really getting a handle on what they earn, what goes out, and having a lifestyle and a budget which kind of matches accordingly. And that is made more difficult by the you know, kind of things I mentioned, whereby you know, all mortgage payments or you know, utility payments or any form of credit payments are always taken monthly. But actually, the majority of people in the U.S. get paid two weekly. Uh, majority of people in the UK don't get paid monthly, they get paid on different cadence. And so it requires inherent budgeting ability, uh, which people just in general don't have. There's certainly lots of technology companies looking to make a difference in, 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 that, in that space. And there's certainly um, you know, so, so, so some interesting kind of you know, emerging ones, which, you know, which, which I think are. But, but yeah, I think kind of you know, culturally, um, you know, we, we don't have a savings culture, which means you know, the majority of the population are very fragile. And then on the top of that, people are just not good at uh, you know, kind of you know, budgeting and you know, managing their money, uh, you know, kind of saving. And you know, and in expensive cities like London, that just gets ex- exasperated when you just look at the fundamentals in terms of you know, average income to, to house prices as well. Yeah. So again, you said a bunch of interesting things there. The the way you engage with employers. So we talked a lot about the fact that you can take loans out through salary finance through your employer. How do you actually engage with uh, with companies then? Because you talked about their uh, education and, and working with employers. It would be really good to understand if I was an employer, what would be the suite of uh, offerings that you would bring to my employees? Absolutely. And, and so yeah, one of the things we want to be clear on up front, which is, you know, I, I guess we, we, we didn't set, set up salary finance to be a kind of a loans business. And so... If you wanted to be just a loans business, then you know, I guess we would know, really say in banking. And so I think now our aim has always been to solve this bigger problem, which is that um, you know, 40% of employees in the UK don't have savings and that they are financially fragile and that kind of impacts their personal life plus their kind of work price. But for us, well, what we quickly find, find out with that, you know, with that kind of, you know, uh, why 40% of people have no savings is, is a big part of it was debt and very high price debt. And so, you know, I guess our first offering is this, you know, our salary finance loans product, which, you know, if we employees have debts, we refinance at a lower rate, uh, we help them pay it off quicker, then we help them to save. That's, I guess, the kind of core of our offer. And then also in, in emergencies, people can use it as well. So, you know, 70% of people use us to pay off their existing debts quicker, 30% use us for, you know, maybe an emergency comes up, maybe they need to rent a deposit, whatever it may be. But our first kind of challenge is, is really to kind of help people, um, you know, kind of get their, you know, kind of debt position sorted. Our kind of second product to employers is a, um, a salary deducted savings product. So uh, what, one of the things we find is um, with savings, um, it's really hard to get people to start saving. Uh, but once they've started, then actually it, it is just transformational. And so, so a lot of the work we do is around how we get people onto that journey of never really consider, considering savings to be valuable uh, to actually then considering it to be valuable to then actually enjoying the process of saving and then actually you know, wanting to then, you know, save as much as they can. Um, and so there's, there's two or three things we do, and there's a lot, lot of behavioral science we do in the background. And so this one is when someone takes a salary finance savings product, we, we, we do as much as we can to encourage them that at the end of the term of the loan, that rather than just cancelling that payroll deduction, which happens without them really knowing, that payroll deduction continues and moves into a savings account. And what we find is, we're, we're, often when we do that, kind of people will say no, 
But if we say actually 50% of what you were giving to us for loans, why don't you just keep, you know, that, that can be your bonus, but at least 50% move over to the savings account so you start to build some, some resilience. That's an important moment. And I'm also building things like, so when you take out a loan, you can, uh, you can kind of, you know, pre-set up your savings. And so you know, we always find that people make decisions in the future much easier than they do, uh, do, do today. And then the other thing which we're looking to do is, you know, set, you know, savings payments, not as an absolute pound amount, but as a percentage. And so, you know, for, for people who, you know, do, do come through the, you know, the graduate route and, you know, have a reasonable growth in earnings. So rather than saying, yeah, I'm going to save £100 per month, actually, but, you know, saving, say, I'm going to save 5% of my income per month and then seeing that, seeing that grow. And then what we also find is that um, when people have no savings, they kind of feel it's impossible, you know, not really worth it. You know, even if I did my best, I'm not going to be able to really save anything meaningful. But actually, when people just gain a few hundred pounds in savings, and when they've done that without really realizing it, because it's actually the money's never gone to their bank account, it's gone straight from their paycheck to a savings account, they suddenly realize that was a lot easier than they thought. They suddenly think, well, if I save 400, then I'm not too far from 1,000, so we'll just keep this going and maybe maybe even up it a bit more. And then when you're on 1,000, you then think, okay, I've done 1,000 without, again, really feeling any pain because I didn't even know what was going. I actually forgotten about it then how do I do two, three, four? And so we kind of find a lot of, you know, behavioral science and a lot of, you know, this intrinsic, you know, inertia. And, and, and payroll is really great because it's one of those things which is almost invisible. You don't have to do anything. And before you know it, you've paid off your debt, you've built up savings. So there, there are two core products. And then two, two more recent products we've launched are, so one is with uh, HMRC in the UK, uh, where they have a very good product for about 15% of the population that get working tax credits. So if they save up to £50 per month through our platform, then there's a help to save scheme, which gives them a, an additional £25 as an incentive for, for saving. Um, so we make that available for employers. And again, we make it very employee, very easy for employees to know about it. You know, quite often, if employees get something from HMRC, they're a bit nervous, it's a bit complex. Even though it's a great offer, they don't believe it. Whereas through our platform, which is kind of very digitally led, it's very easy for them to sign up. It's very easy for them to move their £50 into the uh, kind of saving scheme straight through payroll. And, and then we make the administration of getting the bonus very easy as well. And then we've launched another product called Advance, which is you know, basically a product which allows employees to see how much um, they earn by the day. Um, and then if there's an, an emergency between pay periods, rather than going to a credit card or a payday loan or an overdraft, is we, we allow them to draw down up to 50% of their brand income, but not yet received uh, for a single £2.99 transaction fee. So, so we, we kind of keep it very low, very simple. There's no interest you know, or anything anything like that. And it just gives them much more control uh, control of the money. Um, and then in the future, people can use that product to kind of set their own pay frequency. So actually, if they want to get paid monthly, they can do so. If they want to get paid weekly, they can do so. Just so it gives them more flexibility of how and when uh, when they get paid. And then all of this we wrap into a financial education offering. And so when, when it comes to financial education, I guess our, our general view of the world is the world is not short of financial education content. It's short of kind of engagement. And so there's kind of two things we do on the engagement side. This one is we, we, we pick the moments for when to suggest people uh, engage in certain content. And so... If we looked at someone's loan application and if we can see their affordability is really, really tight, then we can send them you know, education on, you know, some money saving tips, you know, how to build a buffer and so on. Um, actually, if we, if we looked at someone and their credit score seems very low, although we don't use it directly, 
we can again put them uh, on a program which kind of helps them understand how a credit score is made up and how to boost that. Another thing we find is that in general, no one no one's really interested in financial education unless they trust and like the provider. And most of the people, if not all the people that use us, uh, kind of trust and like us. So as soon as we've helped them save £600, then you know they like us, trust us, and are very receptive to, to education we provide. Um, and then the final point to make is just the way we do it, which is um, we do all of our education, pretty much, not all of it, but most of it, through um, video box sets. And so, so, so Netflix is obviously very popular. People like this kind of notion of box sets and seasons. Um, and so, so, so we have the same. And so, you know, season one is about good budgeting and there's six or seven kind of, you know, two minute kind of videos within that. It kind of takes you through a program. So we try to engage people using, I guess, kind of concepts and, you know, kind of styles of content, which they find similar to other things they engage in uh, from, from a social perspective. And then we, 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 we tailor the timing of what we provide relative to what we need. Um, and then we use, uh, we leverage the goodwill we have with them to actually make them you know, open to receiving the education. Yeah, I think context is critical because if, you, um, if you're not interested in finding out about something, then you can have the best content in the world and it can be in the greatest format. But if you, know, you don't need to save for, or you don't understand the need for saving, then you're not really going to be receptive. But the moment that is your number one issue or number two issue in your life, then you're open and receptive. So I, do, yeah, I think your approach is excellent, especially around context and feeding people the right information at the right time because then they'll be they'll just be so much more receptive so, absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of the people we um, we kind of support are um, you know have just had a very poor experience in financial services in general and so you know, you know we, we, we also do work in a lot of banks a lot of banks are clients in the uk and the us and actually bank staff face the same issue as other staff and so you know 70 you know, of people that work in a bank whether it's a branch or call center you know, can't access products from their own bank. They just don't have, have enough high credit What you find is people are very nervous. They're not interested in financial education because they think there's no solution. So there's no point in me. I'm really stressed about my money. There's no point in me, you know, you telling me what I need to do in the course of a number of years because I probably stay. So like I say, I think, you know, the what really changes the game for us is that when they see us and when we help them and then and they can really understand, you know, why this payroll is really advantageous, then actually, okay, they think, you know, here, here's someone that thinks differently. So someone that help us. And, and, you know, they, they, they give us more time and kind of mental capacity than, than you know, you'd ordinarily expect. Yeah, no, it, it, does, it does sound great. So in terms of how you get paid then, obviously you take some sort of margin from the loans. Do you also get paid by the employer to provide these educational services and the salary advance and those sorts of things? Yeah, so in, in general, the, 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 the product is no cost for employers. And so, so you know, our aim is to become... You know, mainstream employee benefit. You know, just like you know, cycle to work or kind of pensions. And so, you know, we want we want to keep the friction point with employers very low. And so, there is no cost, uh, no cost for uh, employers. You know, we we say to employers essentially by you know communicating the employee benefits. You know, you're saving us money by giving us access to payroll. You're saving us, you know, on kind of risk costs, and also you're saving us on bank payments. So, so usually, if we have a client which has a where we have a thousand customers. Uh, we just have one transaction with payroll rather than a thousand individual ones. And so for all those reasons, we say to employers that there is no cost on the basis that you're saving us a lot of money. Some employers will want us to do kind of very, very tailored education programs. Um, in those instances, we, we do charge, uh, but, it, but it tends to be the exception rather than, rather than the norm. Okay, great. Something you said earlier, and I'd like to touch on it because I've had a couple of uh, recent podcast interviews around mental health. 
uh, and in the workplace particularly. You suggested that there was a strong link between people's personal financial health and their mental health. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's such an important issue right now in the world of business. And it's certainly something that I think has been not really well addressed over the last few years by employers. But I think now people are waking up and are really trying to look after the mental well-being of their of their staff. Yeah, very much so. And, and actually, we, we, we do find that uh, you know, the majority of the people, not just employees that engages, do so within a broader well-being kind of focus uh, and certainly uh, kind of mental well-being is uh, is kind of you know a priority now um and, and so, so what what we what we find is that uh, we've done a lot of research kind of back it up as well is that you know there is a intrinsic link between you know financial well-being and mental well-being and you know you know based on our kind of you know, latest research in the uk is about 40 percent of people are kind of you know worried about their finances and in the us about 49 percent and then, if, if we if we look at those group of people, you know, that has impacts on the quality of their sleep, has impacts on the quality of their um, relationships, um, you know, has the impacts on you know how many sit days they have. All of these, you know, all, all of the you know um, financial stresses people have, you know, tend to manifest themselves in a way which impacts their mental well-being. Um, so, so the two the two go very much hand in hand. Um, and, and we've seen employers, you know, go from a period of focusing, you know, very much on, you know, physical well-being, uh, then moving to rental well-being, and, and I'm now kind of moving to, you know, kind of, you know, um, uh, financial well-being as well. Um, so yeah, the, the, the two, the two are very, very linked. Um, you know, if you're, you know, just, you know, I guess, you know, practically, if you're worried about your money, uh, you know, that creates stress and that creates a lot of pressure. And then if you have actually other mental well-being challenges. Um, then actually being worried about money just exa- exasperates those as well. And so uh, it's absolutely, I think, any mental well-being program which is looking to solve the root causes of mental well-being um, just should certainly take into account uh, the financial well-being aspects of employees. And, and, and certainly we're seeing increasingly in progressing employees. Uh, that's becoming uh, kind of necessarily more of the case. Yeah, I think, you know, anecdotally, money worries has always been there as a big issue in people's lives, especially when, you're, you know, you're the lower end of the earning scale. Um, so it's great to see that what you're doing is helping to address some of these very stressful moments in people's lives. Something I wanted to touch on with you, and just to get your view on it as much as anything, in, in the UK, especially it's been documented, and I'm not sure of the data in the US, but you may know more about that. This idea that, um, or this data that the the real wage growth in the UK has not really moved on, particularly especially for lower income people since since the financial crash, and then this introduction of zero hours contracts and and more temporary contracts. How do you see those two factors affecting what you do, and do you see that as a a big problem, or do you just see that as just part of the environment? And actually, the real issue is around poor financial education and, and lack of tools for, for people to save and, and pay off debt? Uh, no, no, yeah, we, 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 we certainly see those as, you know, important trends, which I guess all come together into this melting pot, which makes life just, you know, incredibly difficult for middle to low income earners. And there's, you know, just a huge polarisation in society now um, around, you know, people who are on the property ladder at a certain kind of age, you know, doing well, like I think it's just a kind of old saying, which is when you have money, it's you know, much easier to make more money. And you know, for, for, for people who are kind of left behind, and so 
on those particular trends, absolutely. So, so you know, we, we, we absolutely see very little, if any, kind of real terms, uh, kind of wage growth we see. And then that's you know, pretty much across industries. You know, one of the things you always say to employers is, you know, you know financial wellness is not a, it's not a challenge for necessarily particular employers. They're, they're, you know, employers obviously kind of treat their staff in, you know, more or less kind of progressive ways. But, but, but even for the progressive ones, there are just general issues in society. And so, you know, real wage, um, you know, real wage growth is down. We kind of talked about the savings rates being um, very low in general, just kind of culturally. I think you know, this generation um, has half the wealth of prior generation uh, at exactly right. the same the same age. So, so for, for the first time, we're seeing actually you know, you know generations being kind of less well off. And then you're also seeing the you know just the increase in cost of living, and particularly the, the increasing in cost of housing in certain in, in certain uh, kind of cities. Um, and then absolutely, you know, with the rise of the kind of gig economy, zero hour contracts, much more kind of flexible working, all of that comes into a melting pot, which just you know, creates this huge divide in society. And again, that's probably kind of, you know, most starkly kind of shown when you look at the uh, you know, ratio of average kind of CEO executive income, you know, mm-hmm. to the average person. So, so all of these things are very relevant. All of these things kind of come into that melting pot, that melting pot. And then I guess where, where we are is that um, you know, we are constantly looking at, we, we, we do lots of focus groups, lots of research. We are constantly looking at what life is like for different groups in society. And then we, we, we tend to have this financial fitness score from one through to five. So we can kind of segregate people based upon uh, their levels of financial fitness. And we, we do a lot of work just understanding what is, what is life like in those different segments. We do think financial products need to change to reflect the realities. So you know, if, if you look at, for example, you know, kind of gig economy workers where they have very variable pay, in that context, if you look at a mortgage or if you look at a loan product, if you look at some other fixed costs, and actually it no longer makes sense to have a fixed monthly cost because you don't have a fixed monthly earnings. So, so one of the things we look at, for example, is um, do we have a, for a loan, do we allow employees to choose a variable repayment based upon their income? So you know, if they get paid more in a month, they can pay off more of their loan. If it's less in the less month, they can kind of pay less. We already mentioned we do a lot on the timing of payments. And so, you know, if employees get paid to a certain frequency, which is different how it used to be, you know, can, can we kind of time that? So, yeah, we, we, we do think there is a huge, a huge change. Yeah? And what, what one of the things, I guess, you know, from a slightly more selfish perspective in terms of the value of our platform and the value of what we do and, and why we can do it is, what we do find in general, traditional banks are on you know, platforms which are very inflexible. So you know, the reason why banks only do a monthly loan or a monthly loan is a mortgage or loan is because that's all the platform can allow them to do. Your ability to do a variably priced loan linked to pay or ability to change your repayment frequency or ability to do you know, all of this flexibility needed because you know, the world of work is a lot more flexible is much more you know, able for us to do within our kind of you know, technology and uh, kind of you know, technology capability. So uh, absolutely, these are all kind of you know, very relevant trends and things which we certainly look at a lot. Yeah, um, I, and I, I guess my point was more around the fact that should employers really be looking at themselves rather than the employees and saying, oh, well, you need to save a bit more and you need to look after your financial yeah. Maybe it's paying people um, uh, appropriately and and giving them job security and and, and looking at how you're contracting with them. Yeah, 
So it's, I, I guess at a individual employer level, absolutely. So, so you know, in, in, in the same way, you know, we look at the broader impact in society, we, we, we do think it is important for employers to look at the kind of, you know, the ramifications for their employees of, of certain, you know, structured contracts, security, and, and so on. So at an individual employer level, absolutely, we, we, we certainly encourage you that. At a macro level, we just think there are fundamental mismatches uh, that, 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 that individual employees can solve, you know, the cost of living relative to the cost of house prices. Um, there were just there were just lots of macroeconomic issues, and so uh, and then and also for, for for many companies, the reality is their economics don't allow them to be you know hugely more genuine generous, and so then it comes to a lot, of, a lot more thought in terms of kind of you know what else they can do, where they can use their kind of group purchasing power. Um, but yeah, so, so I think we, we always encourage employers to be thoughtful around uh, their employees, and there's, there's always more everyone can do. It was one of the things things I think about for our own staff as well, like you know. Uh, you know, there is always more you can do and, and, and should do, but at a macro level, just the fundamentals just really don't make sense at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Um, so just to loop things back to uh, salary finance, we talked earlier on about creativity and how you'd approach this particular problem in quite in a very creative way. How do you how do you manage the culture of salary finance to to live your values and to encourage that type of creativity? Absolutely. Um, and so um, a few things, um, you know, in the, uh, so, so, so yeah, we, we have a mission or a vision, we have you know, kind of values, all staff have been involved in helping kind of, you know, shape those you know, picked words, which we, which kind of really brings life value. So we have, a, I guess, a, a kind of a common vocabulary, philosophy, um, and kind of so forth. And then the question is kind of, you know, how, how do we kind of build that into, I guess, kind of, you know, everyday, everyday workings. And so, you know, right from the recruitment process, you know, there are certain things which we're looking for. And so pretty much everyone that works at Salary Finance will do so because they care about the mission. So, you know, their, their primary aim is not to maximize their earnings. They always want to be, be kind of paid and rewarded fairly, but it's not a primary reason they kind of join us. You know, they're not obsessed about building the biggest balance sheet that any bank has built before. They're kind of, you know, very much, um, you know, in the recruitment process, we really very much kind of sift out people who are uh, kind of passionate about what we do. And, and a, lot, a lot of the reality of what we do is um, it, it is pretty tough. Like, you know, we are you know, trying to you know, create a new industry that is different um, and that create and that needs a lot of resilience, needs a lot of passion. Um, and, and that only really cares if you kind of, it happens if you kind of really cares. So, so, so we, we kind of, you know, first of all, our first kind of three criteria for any role is that people are all really aligned to the mission. The kind of second thing we do is make sure that we set people the right questions and the right framework. And so whenever we're looking at a new product or whenever we're looking at optimization opportunities or whenever we're looking at kind of new features, um, you know, there's a series of things we're looking at. You know, does it make sense from a consumer perspective? Does it make sense from an economic perspective? Does it make sense from a regulatory perspective? And so we kind of make sure that and we always look at the balance. So, so the reality is... Um, you know, there are certain sectors which actually are very, very social. Their, their intentions are very, very good. You know, if you're part of a nonprofit, I like this. But the reality is their impact is zero because they just cannot scale. We do have to ask the, the question internally, well, you know, okay, this feature of this product, it is great socially. Clearly, it's going to add a lot of value. But have we been creative enough in the commercials to make sure there's full alignment and that we can actually, actually scale them? So it's kind of creating the frameworks and asking the right questions and uh, uh, kind of questions of people. 
and then I guess the final piece, which is a real, which is a grounding, and we 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 do today we want to do a lot more of, is just making sure we keep very close to consumers. Um, you know, because the reality is, you know, salary finance was, I guess, the you know an, an idea I had come up with based upon things I had seen and you know certain philosophies I had. But you know, reaching more than a million employees today, that my uh, you know uh, data set now is not the best data set. Actually, we have you know, people day in day out that are feeling pains um, that you know you know have issues that we need to understand the better. And so we always keep a very close grounding to kind of what's happening. And so. I would say in prior jobs, particularly as a management consultant, you know, you would focus a lot on hypothesis. Um, and that used to be, you know, very much a McKinsey thing as well. And so, but the reality is, you know, we, we don't encourage too much hypothesis here, which is the reality is, um, you know, the issues people face are very complex. They're very different. Let's not go in and thinking we know what life is like for everyone. Let's like really go in with very much a primary kind of research angle and then let's kind of work it through, through from there. So there's certainly the, the, the types of things we do, but, but I guess probably the, Biggest thing I could say is, you know, upfront making sure, you know, we just have the right type of person joining where they really care about uh, the why of what we're doing. You uh, talked about scalability and I just want to touch on this because uh, I noticed on your website that you've expanded into the US. It'd be great to understand why you picked the US at this stage of the business and, and yeah, what's the reasoning behind the expansion? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess we, we, we are known um, to do, I guess, uh, counter new intuitive kind of things. And so almost when you set up side finance in the UK, the view was, uh, you know, you'll never get this to work, you'll never get it to scale, you'll never get the capital you need, you'll never get all of these things. And so it kind of, kind of similar was what was when we looked at the US, you know, the, the general consensus was, uh, you know, it's, you know, you've not really become mainstream in the UK yet, you know, you're taking on too much and kind of so on. But but we, we kind of went, went, went against the mainstream and it would either be proven right or wrong in years to come. But uh, we kind of went against it for the, the two real things. And, and it just really felt for a number of reasons that the timing was right. And, and, and so, so firstly, we came across a partner in the US that we thought could really, and I do think today, um, and are helping us kind of really uh, kind of scale and create impact. And so we were, we were at the World Economic Forum a couple of years ago uh, where we met the CEO of um, United Way. And there's a United Way is the largest non-for-profit in the US. Um, and, and, and their model is payroll giving. And so in the US, um, you know, employees give to good causes uh, through United Way through their payroll. And so that they do that across you know, you know, about 100,000 employers. They reach about 50 million employees. And annually, they raise about 5 billion through, through the payroll channel. So they represent a very good distribution channel for us. But also, um, one of the three big things they care about is financial stability in communities. They could really see how our solution at scale with their distribution could really um, could really create enormous value across the US. And so we got very close to United Way. It took us a while for them to get comfortable for a nonprofit to come into partnership with a for-profit organization, albeit with a social focus. And then after a period of diligence, they got very comfortable that that, that actually, you know, despite some differences, actually our you know, fundamental philosophy is incredibly aligned and the power of the two could be very, very powerful. And um, so, so on the back of that partnership, that gave us enough confidence to fully launch in the US. And now we're live across all 50 states. Um, you know, we've got a good team out there. Uh, we've got our first kind of, you know, 10 employers live and, and all the pilots have worked really well. Uh, and then we're in the process of kind of scaling, scaling up from there. 
Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, that sounds like a fantastic partner as well, which really helps um, when you're going into, well, not only a new territory, but a one as vast as the as the US. So, so congratulations on that partnership. Right, just, just to wrap things up, um, essentially, we're coming to, towards the end of the podcast. Um, what's next for Salary Finance? Yeah, so a, a kind of couple of things, and so um, you know, in, in the UK, say we reach around um, you know million employees today. We kind of want to get that to two, three, kind of four, so really become a mainstream kind of really uh, you know external impact. And then we want to also kind of broaden our product offering, so we become value at a we become valuable across a whole bunch of kind of pain points employees have. And so you know, debt is certainly one, but you know, moving into you know kind of savings and you know different forms of savings products. Uh, you know, budgeting tools and kind of so on. So, so kind of you know, a getting you know scale across employers. Um, uh, you know, going from the one million to you know, kind of you know, three to four, um, and, and then also increasing the value we provide to each employee. Um, the, the the US scaling kind of you know, kind of similarly. There's one or two countries we're also looking at uh, where we think we can create uh, a lot of value as well. Um, so there's kind of new new, new countries there. Uh, we'll be launching an app later on this year. Um, and so the other thing for us is is just making sure we get um. You know, we, we don't become a transaction event, but that we have you know, good levels of uh, engagement and um, yeah, we, we, we just become a, you know, a core part of the um, day-to-day habits people form in terms of helping them manage their money better and, and enabled through the, the relationship we have with them and for you. Great. Sounds really, really exciting. And finally, one uh, question we always ask people is, what, what advice would you give to business owners or other entrepreneurs that are looking to add more meaning to their work or their business life? Yeah, it's a very good, uh, good question. So I would say to really expand what you think is in the remit of your, uh, of your business and then and, and try to solve kind of wider problems, which ultimately will, will, will kind of comes to help your core business as well. We do find that if you extend your kind of remit or responsibility and your, your kind of you know, creativity and resources to solve not just how you make more money, but, but actually how you solve um, kind of you know peripheral peripheral problems in society which which um, directly can support then you know then that's a creates a much more interesting business it creates a much more personally rewarding uh, a rewarding business uh, and then it also creates a much better culture and an environment um, you know the, the the reality is um, and I would say in general you know earning money is transactional you know you know, it, you know, you know I do believe you know there's a certain amount of money which is needed and yeah, that does you know help people's happiness and so on. It's fairly shallow and um, there is a limit to that. But if you really, really want to break through and if you really, really want to do something meaningful, you can absolutely do that in business. You just need to extend uh, what you consider to be in your kind of remit and, and in your responsibility. Great. Thanks for that advice, Asish. It's, uh, you know, it's really interesting to hear your story. So thank you for sharing that with us today. And thank you for showing us all how you conduct business with meaning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again, Asesh, for giving us an insight into how fintech can make the lives of hardworking people happier and healthier and give them the tools and the alternatives to expensive credit and payday loans. Now, salary finance is meeting a real need in today's workplace, and I hope that many more companies embrace the work that they and others are doing to make personal finance work for all. Now, for our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you love what you're hearing, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you've got any direct feedback, we'd love to hear from you, either via Twitter, 
at bofmeaning or via email at sanjay at thebusinessofmeaning.com. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you all on the next episode.